Chapter Two of the Mystery of the Sycamore by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. North Door and South Door. For Samuel Appleby to pay a visit to Daniel Wheeler was of itself an astounding occurrence. The two men had not seen each other since the day fifteen years ago when Governor Appleby had pardoned the convicted Wheeler with a condition which though harsh had been strictly adhered to they had never been friends at heart for they were diametrically opposed in their political views and were not of similar tastes or pursuits but they had been thrown much together and when the time came for wheeler to be tried for forgery appleby lent no assistance to the case however through certain influences brought to bear in connection with the fact that mrs wheeler was related to the applebys the governor pardoned the condemned man with a conditional pardon separated ever since a few letters had passed between the two men but they resulted in no change of conditions as the big car ran southward through the berkshire hills appleby's thoughts were all on the coming meeting and the scenery of autumn foliage that provoked wild exclamations of delight from genevieve and ascending enthusiasm from keefe left the other unmoved an appreciative nod and grunt were all he vouchsafed to the girl's gushing praises and when at last they neared their destination he called her attention to a tall old sycamore tree standing alone on a ridge not far away that's the tree that gives the wheeler place its name he informed sycamore ridge is one of the most beautiful places in connecticut oh are we in connecticut asked miss lane i didn't know we had crossed the border what a great old tree surely one of the historic trees of new england isn't it historic to the wheelers was the grim reply and then mr appleby again relapsed into silence and spoke no further word until they reached the wheeler home a finely curved sweep of driveway brought them to the house and the car stopped at the south entrance the door did not swing open in welcome and mr appleby ordered his chauffeur to ring the bell this brought a servant in response and the visiting trio entered the house it was long and low with many rooms on either side of the wide hall that went straight through from south to north the first room to the right was a large living room and into this the guests were shown and were met by a grave-looking man who neither smiled nor offered a hand as his calm gaze rested on samuel appleby indeed the two men stared at one another in undisguised curiosity each seemed to search the other's face for information as to his attitude and intent. "'Well, Dan,' Appleby said, after the silent scrutiny, "'you've changed some. But you're the same good-looking chap you always were.' Wheeler gave a start and pulled himself together. "'Thank you. I suppose I should return the compliment.' "'But you can't conscientiously do it, eh?' Appleby laughed never mind personal vanity is not my besetting sin this is my secretary mr keefe and my assistant miss lane ah yes yes how are you how do you do 
My wife and daughter will look after the young lady. Maida. As if awaiting the call, a girl came quickly in from the hall, followed by an older woman. Introductions followed. And if there was an air of constraint on the part of the host, the ladies of the family showed none. Sunny-faced Maida Wheeler, with her laughing brown eyes and gold-brown hair, greeted the visitors with charming cordiality, and her mother was equally kind and courteous. Genevieve Lane's wise and appraising eyes missed no point of appearance or behavior. "'Perfect darlings, both of them,' she commented to herself. "'Whatever ails the old guy, it hasn't bitten them. "'Or else—wait a minute!' Genevieve was very observant. Perhaps they're putting on a little. Is their welcome a bit extra, to help things along? Yet only a most meticulous critic could discern anything more than true hospitality in the attitude of Mrs. Wheeler or Maida. The latter took Genevieve to the room prepared for her and chatted away in girlish fashion. The place is so wonderful, Genevieve exclaimed carefully avoiding personal talk don't you just adore it oh yes i've loved sycamore ridge for nearly fifteen years have you lived here so long genevieve was alert for information it was fifteen years ago that the pardon had been granted but as maida merely assented and then changed the subject miss lane was far too canny to ask further questions with a promptness not entirely due to chance, the stenographer came downstairs dressed for dinner some several minutes before the appointed hour. Assuming her right as a guest, she wandered about the rooms. The south door by which they had entered was evidently the main entrance, but the opposite, or north door, gave on to an even more beautiful view and she stepped out on the wide veranda and gazed admiringly about. The low ridge nearby formed the western horizon, and the giant sycamore, its straight branches, outlined against the fading sunset, was impressive and a little weird. She strolled on and turned the corner the better to see the ridge. The veranda ran all round the house, and as she went on along the western side, she suddenly became aware of a silent figure leaning against a pillar at the southwest corner. "'It is so quiet it frightens me,' she said to Daniel Wheeler as she neared him. "'Do you feel that way, too?' he asked, looking at her a little absently. "'It is the lull before the storm.' "'Oh, that sunset doesn't mean rain,' Genevieve exclaimed, smiling unless your Connecticut blue laws interpret weather signs differently from our Massachusetts prophets. We are in Connecticut, aren't we? Yes, and Wheeler sighed unaccountably. Yes, Miss Lane, we are. That sycamore is the finest tree in the state. I can well believe it. I never saw such a grandfather of a tree. It's all full of little balls. Yes, button balls they are called. But note its wonderful symmetry, its majestic appearance. And strength, it looks as if it would stand there forever. Do you think so? 
and the unmistakable note of disappointment in the man's tone caused genevieve to look up in astonishment well perhaps it will he added quickly oh no of course it won't really no tree stands for ever but it will be here long after you and i are gone are you an authority on trees wheeler spoke without a smile hardly that but i was brought up in the country and i know something of them your daughter loves the country too oh yes we all do the tone was courteous but the whole air of the man was so melancholy his cheerfulness so palpably assumed that genevieve felt sorry for him as well as inordinately curious to know what was the matter but her sympathy was the stronger impulse and with a desire to entertain him she said come for a few steps in the garden mr wheeler won't you come and show me that quaint little summer-house near the front door it is the front door isn't it it's hard to tell yes the north door is the front door wheeler said slowly as if repeating a lesson the summer-house you mention is near the front door but we won't visit that now come this other way and i'll show you a japanese tea-house much more attractive but genevieve lane was sometimes under the spell of the imp of the perverse no no she begged smilingly let the japanese contraption wait please go to the little summer-house now see how it fairly twinkles in the last gleams of the setting sun what is the flower that rambles all over it oh do let's go there now come please with no reason for her foolish insistence save a whim genevieve was amazed to see the look of fury that came over her host's face appleby put you up to that he cried in a voice of intense anger he told you to ask me to go to that place why mr wheeler cried the girl almost frightened mr appleby did nothing of the sort why should he i'm not asking anything wrong am i why is it so dreadful to want to see an arbor instead of a tea-house you must be crazy when miss lane was excited she was quite apt to lose her head and speak in thoughtless fashion but mr wheeler didn't seem to notice her informality of speech he only stared at her as if he couldn't quite make her out and then he suddenly seemed to lose interest in her or her wishes and with a deep sigh he turned away and fell into the same brooding posture as when she had first approached him come to dinner people called maida's pretty voice as with outstretched hands she came toward them why dads what are you looking miserable about what have you done to him miss lane maida child don't speak like that miss lane has been most kindly talking to me of of the beauties of sycamore ridge all right then and forgive me miss lane but you see the sun rises and sets for me in one daniel wheeler esq and any shadow on his face makes me apprehensive of its cause only for an instant did genevieve lane's sense of justice rise in revolt then her common sense showed her the better way and she smiled pleasantly and returned i don't blame you miss wheeler if i had a father i should feel just the same way i know 
but don't do any gorylock shaking my way i assure you i didn't really scold him i only kicked because he wouldn't humor my whim for visiting the summer-house with the blossoms trailing over it was that naughty of me but though genevieve listened for the answer none came come on into dinner daddy dear maida repeated come miss lane they're waiting for us dinner was a delightful occasion dan wheeler at the head of his own table was a charming host and his melancholy entirely disappeared as the talk ran along on subjects grave or gay but of no personal import appleby too was entertaining and the two men with mrs wheeler carried on most of the conversation the younger members of the party being what seemed common consent left out of it genevieve looked about the dining-room with a pleased interest she dearly loved beautiful appointments and was really imagining herself mistress of such a house and visioning herself at the head of such a table the long room stretched from north to south parallel with the hall though not adjoining the table was not in the center but toward the southern end and mr wheeler at the end near the windows had keefe and miss lane on either side of him appleby as guest of honor sat at mrs wheeler's right and the whole effect was that of a formal dinner party rather than a group of which two were merely office employees it is one of the few remaining warm evenings said mrs wheeler as she rose from the table we will have our coffee on the veranda soon it will be too cool for that which veranda asked genevieve of maida as they went through the hall the north one i suppose your hopes must be dashed laughed the other for it will be the south one come along the two girls followed by keefe took possession of a group of chairs near mrs wheeler while the two older men sat apart and soon became engrossed in their own discussions nor was it long before samuel appleby and his host withdrew to a room which opened on to that same south veranda and which was in fact mr wheeler's den well sam keefe heard the others say as he drew down the blind we may as well have it out now what are you here for outwardly placid but almost consumed with curiosity kurt keefe changed his seat for one nearer the window of the den he hoped to hear the discussion going on inside but was doomed to disappointment for though the murmuring of the voices was audible the words were not distinct and keefe gathered only enough information to be sure that there was a heated argument in progress and that neither party to it was inclined to give in a single point of course he decided the subject was the coming election campaign but the details of desired bargaining he could not gather moreover often just as he almost heard sentences of interest the chatter of the girls or some remark of mrs wheeler's would drown the voices of the men in the room one time indeed he heard clearly when the sycamore on the ridge goes into massachusetts but this was sheer nonsense and he concluded he must have misunderstood later they foregathered in the living-room and there was music and general conversation 
genevieve lane proved herself decidedly entertaining and though samuel appleby looked a little amusedly at his stenographer he smiled kindly at her as he noticed that she in no way overstepped the bounds of correct demeanor genevieve was thinking of what keefe had said to her if you only do what is absolutely correct and say what is only absolutely correct you can do whatever you like she had called it nonsense at the time but she was beginning to see the truth of it she was careful that her every word and act should be correct and she was most decidedly doing as she liked she made good with mrs wheeler and maida with no trouble at all but she felt vaguely that mr wheeler didn't like her this she set about to remedy going to his side as he chanced to sit for a moment alone she smiled ingratiatingly and said i wonder if you can imagine sir what it means to me to see the inside of a house like this bless my soul what do you mean asked wheeler puzzled at the girl's manner it's like a glimpse of fairyland she went on you see i'm terribly ambitious oh fearfully so and all my ambitions lead to just this sort of a home do you suppose i'll ever achieve it mr wheeler now the girl had truly wonderful magnetic charm and even staid old dan wheeler was not insensible to the note of longing in her voice the simple honest admission of her hopes of course you will little one he returned kindly i've heard that whatever one wants one gets provided the wish is strong enough he spoke directly to her but his gaze wandered as if his thoughts were far away do you really believe that genevieve's big blue eyes begged an affirmation i didn't say i believed it i said i have heard it he smiled sadly not quite the same so far as i'm concerned but quite as assuring to you of course my belief wouldn't endorse the possibility it would for me declared genevieve i've lots of confidence in other people's opinions anybody's anybody whom i respect and believe in appleby for instance oh yes indeed i'd trust mr appleby's opinions on any subject let's go over there and tell him so samuel appleby was sitting at the other end the north end of the long room no said wheeler i'm too comfortable here to move ask him to come here genevieve looked at him a little astonished it was out of order she thought for a host to speak thus she pressed the point saying there was a picture at the other end of the room she wished to examine run along then said wheeler coolly here maida show miss lane that etching and tell her the interesting details about it the girls went away and soon after keefe drifted round to wheeler's side you know young sam appleby he asked casually no wheeler said shortly but not sharply i dare say he's a most estimable chap he's all of that he's a true chip of the old block both good gubernatorial timber 
as I'm sure you agree. What makes you so sure, Mr. Keefe? Kurt Keefe looked straight at him. Well, he laughed, I'm quite ready to admit that the wish was father to the thought. Why do you call that an omission? Oh, Keefe readily returned, it is usually looked upon as a confession that one has no reason for a thought other than a wish. And why is it your wish? Because it is the wish of my employer, said Keefe seriously. I know of no reason, Mr. Wheeler, why I shouldn't say that I hope and trust you will use your influence to further the cause of young Appleby. What makes you think I can do so? While I am not entirely in Mr. Appleby's confidence, he has told me that the campaign would be greatly aided by your willingness to help, and so I can't help hoping you will exercise it. Appleby has told you so much, has he? No more? No more, I think, regarding yourself, sir. I know naturally the details of the campaign so far as it is yet mapped out. And you know why I do not want to lend my aid? I know you are not in accordance with the principles of the Appleby's politics. That I am not, nor shall I ever be, nor shall I ever pretend to be. Pretend? Of course not. But could you not be persuaded? By what means? I don't know, Mr. Wheeler, and Keefe looked at him frankly. I truly don't know by what means. But I do know that Mr. Appleby is here to present to you an argument by which he hopes to persuade you to help young Sam along. And I earnestly desire to add any word of mine that may help influence your decision. That is why I want to tell you of the good traits of Sam Appleby, Jr. It may be I can give you a clearer light on his character than his father could do. That is, I might present it as the opinion of a friend, and not exaggerate his virtues as a father might do. I see. Well, Mr. Keefe, I appreciate your attitude. But let me tell you this. Whatever I do or don't do regarding this coming campaign of young Appleby will be entirely irrespective of the character or personality of that young man. It will all depend on the senior Appleby's arrangements with me and my ability to change his views on some of the more important planks in his platform. If he directed you to speak to me as you have done, you may return that to him as my answer. You doubtless said the same to him, sir? Of course I did. I make no secret of my position in this matter. Samuel Appleby has a hold over me, I admit that. But it is not strong enough to make me forget my ideas of right and wrong to the public. No influence of a personal nature should weigh against any man's duty to the state and I will never agree to pretend to any dissimulation in order to bring about a happier life for myself. But need you subscribe to the objectionable points to use your influence for young Sam? Tactically, of course. And I do not choose even to appear to agree to principles abhorrent to my sense of justice and honesty, thereby secretly gaining something for myself. Meaning your full pardon? 
Wheeler turned a look of surprise on the speaker. "'I thought you said you hadn't Appleby's full confidence,' he said. "'Nor have I. I do know, as do many men, that you were pardoned with a condition, but the condition I do not know. It can't be very galling.' and Keefe looked about on the pleasant surroundings. "'You think not. That's because you don't know the terms. And yet, galling though they are, hateful though it makes my life and the lives of my wife and daughter, we would all rather bear it than to deviate one iota from the path of strict right. I must admire you for that as much as any honorable man.' but are there not degrees or shadings of right and wrong? Mr. Keefe, as an old man I take the privilege of advising you for your own good. All through your life I beg you remember this. Anyone who admits degrees or shadings of right or wrong is already wrong. Don't be offended. You didn't claim those things. You merely asked the question. But remember what I said about it. End of chapter 2